Let us turn in God's word this evening to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men in cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But, speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, for ye have not, so learn Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. 
Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Thus far we read God's holy and inerrant word. May God bless the reading of his holy scriptures unto our hearts. The text that we use for the sermon this evening is the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is well known that parents of young children, young infants, eagerly look forward to the day when that young child can begin to walk. The parents track the development of that child to see if the child is progressing unto being able to walk. The parents might even teach that child, help prop the child up against a piece of furniture and grab the feet of the child and move the feet of the child along to teach that child the movement of walking. This is something that is important to parents. There can be apprehension on the minds of the parents if the child does not reach that developmental stage in an appropriate time. And then at last, after having waited months, the parents then with much joy and elation observe their child walking for the very first time. So it is, beloved, for you and for me spiritually. It is God's will for us that we walk. The text tells us that we are to do that. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk. God has created us in such a way that we are able to walk, and yet we must learn to walk. God, in his fatherly care for us, as it were, reaches down from heaven, props us up, 
takes our feet and guides our feet so that we learn the motion of walking. It's not something that we naturally do, but it's something that we must, by the instruction of God's Word through the power of the Holy Spirit, learn to do. And just as parents desire, have a good desire for that child to walk, it would not be good or healthy for the child not to be able to learn to walk of his own accord. So God has a good desire with regard to you, his people. It is because God loves you that God comes to his people and commands you, walk. Walk worthily. Walk in a way that is worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Let's consider this text this evening under the theme, Walking Worthily. First, in your vocation. Second, with a Christian attitude, looking especially at the second verse. And then third, for the sake of unity, looking at the third verse, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The text calls us in the first verse to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. This word translated here as vocation could also simply be translated as calling walk worthy of the calling wherewith you are called. And so twice in the span of one sentence, this idea of calling is emphasized. What is this calling that God gives to his people? We may start broadly in understanding the, the, this idea of calling. Calling is the power of of God as God addresses his people in the gospel and as God summons his people out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That generally, that broadly is the idea of calling. Calling is to be understood spiritually. It's a spiritual work that the Holy Spirit performs as the Spirit applies unto us the gospel. It's by the power of this calling, worked efficaciously in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, that we come to believe Jesus Christ. That we embrace the benefits of the cross for ourselves personally. It's by the power of this calling that our hearts are opened up unto God. So that we are receptive unto the instruction that God gives to us in His Holy Word. So that, that broadly is the idea of calling. And with that calling that we receive, there comes both responsibilities and blessings. God has called you. Walk worthy of the vocation, the calling wherewith you are called. And with that calling comes responsibilities. 
And we'll look more later on in the sermon specifically at what those responsibilities are. But now generally we note the Christian has a duty. There's a duty given to you by God Himself. It's a duty that's different than the way that the person of the world behaves. And then as well with that calling comes a blessing. Blessed with being an elect child of God. Blessed with knowing that you are an elect child of God. With that calling comes the blessing of the knowledge of what Jesus Christ has done for you. The blessing of the confidence of faith. That generally is the calling. The calling as it goes forth to all of God's elect people and summons them unto Jesus. But now we may speak more particularly of one's calling. The text we said is at pains to emphasize this word calling, repeating it in the text. Walk worthy of the calling wherewith you are called. Specifically, we note everybody has a calling. There is nobody who can object and say, I have not received a calling. The devil would at times tempt us unto discouragement. And he would have us imagine that I have no place in the kingdom. Nobody wants me. Nobody needs me. The church would be just fine without me. If the devil tempts us with those thoughts, then we must remember you have a calling. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And then as well about this specific calling, it's not just a case that everybody has a calling, but it's this, that everyone's calling is unique. You are to walk in the vocation wherewith you are called. And the vocation, the particular position that you have upon this earth is different than the particular position that God gives unto the neighbor. A little bit later in the 11th verse, the Apostle Paul speaks of different callings that God gave unto men. Verse 11, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And so it is that everybody on this earth who is called, or every child of God has a calling. Sometimes when we speak of being called, we limit this unto certain positions. The minister is called. The elders, the deacons are called. School teachers are called. But then I'm just a truck driver. 
or I'm just a person working in the shop. As if that is not a calling in comparison to these other callings. Everyone has a vocation to which they are called. Some are called to be mothers. Some are called to be fathers. Some are called to be husbands. And some are called to remain single. There are no two identical callings that God gives to his people upon this earth. To be sure, there may be overlap in certain vocations or callings. All mothers have certain responsibilities and duties in the home, feeding the children, caring, cleaning. All fathers have certain responsibilities to lead the home, provide for the home, and lead the home spiritually. And yet, there are no two callings that are exactly the same. Why not? Because there are no two children in the home that are exactly the same. There is no workplace occupation that is exactly the same and requires the exact same abilities as what a different calling is. Everyone has their own unique calling. And then we note specifically regarding this calling that God is the one who sovereignly gives this calling. The text describes your role in this in the passive voice. You are to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. You do not call yourself to a specific calling or vocation, but God is the one who actively calls man and woman to a particular vocation. God has from the beginning been the one who has called man to to his respective duties. God called Adam to labor in the garden and to exercise dominion there in the garden. And then after the fall into sin, God came to Adam and Eve again and reiterated that calling unto them and developed that calling unto them. God told man that he would labor by the sweat of his brow, that there would be thorns and thistles upon this earth. God told the woman that she would conceive and bring forth children in sorrow. God is the one who determines particularly what the vocation is that we have. And God is good. And God is wise in the calling that He gives unto us. It's not as if God arbitrarily gives unto us a calling irrespective of what abilities He has given unto us. But God gives unto us our particular vocation in accord with the abilities, the gifts that He has sovereignly distributed unto us. 
there's a reason why God has called the woman to nurture and care for little children. There is a reason why, the, why God has called the man to labor, to bear the burden of earning and providing for his home. And the reason is that God created the woman and God created the man in such a unique way that they are able to carry out these respective callings. Within these callings, God says, walk. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. This text supposes correctly that sin influences in a negative way our ability to carry out our callings. Adam and Eve were called in the garden, and prior to the fall, they were able to carry out their callings perfectly. But then when sin entered into the garden, Adam was no longer able perfectly to exercise dominion over the garden. The entrance of sin into this world affects our attitude while we carry out these callings, affects our ability to complete the callings. How many callings are left not finished? And so God must come to us and he must teach us how to walk in the respective callings that he has given to us. The text teaches us that we must walk worthy. And this idea of walking worthy means literally to walk in a way that is becoming. Walk in a way that is becoming for the vocation to which God has called you. There is a way to walk in one's vocation that is either becoming or appropriate for that vocation. Or conversely, there is a way in which one walks that is not becoming inappropriate for the vocation to which one has been called. We might illustrate this idea of walking worthily with the idea of apparel, clothing, that is worn for a special occasion. Imagine that there is to be a wedding. The bride-to-be and the groom-to-be, excited for that coming day, are intentional about what clothing they are going to wear at that wedding. The young woman goes out and she looks for a beautiful white dress. The young man goes and he finds searches for a fine suit and a tie. And then after they have found clothing that they judge to be appropriate for that coming occasion, then they're careful to make sure that the clothing remains clean, that that the clothing is pressed. And then when the day of the wedding comes, then they wear that clothing which is appropriate for, becoming for, 
the solemnity and the joyful occasion of a wedding. They don't take that clothing and sully that clothing by dragging it through the mud, by cutting it so that they're wearing rags on the wedding occasion. If they were to do that, we would say that that's unbecoming for that wedding ceremony. Well, just as it is with regard to clothing, there being appropriate or inappropriate clothing for an occasion, so it is then for us with regard to the vocations, the callings that God has given unto us. The calling of this text is, as it were, put on behavior that is appropriate or becoming for the position to which God has called you. As Christians, we must be intentional in putting on this behavior. There's the command, walk worthy of the vocation. Although God is the one who is sovereign in giving unto us this calling, and we noted earlier that the passive voice is used with regard to us, we are called, but with regard, with regard to our walking in that vocation, the text uses the active voice, walk in this. God has set you apart for this position. God has taken you who were strangers, aliens from the covenant of promise, and God has taken you and God has called you to this vocation. You are called to be a Christian. And then more specifically within that, God has called you to be a Christian father or a Christian mother. And now what this text is requiring of us is, as one commentator put it, be who you are. You are a Christian, now be a Christian. You are a Christian father, now be a Christian father. Don't stoop down to anything below what God has called you to be. That would be unbecoming for you to do that. It would be like taking that wedding dress and dragging that wedding dress through the mud and then showing up on the day of the wedding and wearing it. If God has called you to be a Christian, don't stoop down then to the standards of the world. If God has called you to be a Christian father, then don't stoop down to being a workaholic who is too busy ever to be with his children. If God has called you to be a mother, don't stoop down to being a career-driven individual. Be who you are. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Let your conversation and your speech, your hopes and your dreams, your work and your recreation reflect the fact that you are a Christian.
We are to do this according to the second verse with the Christian attitude. In several different ways, the Apostle describes for us the attitude we must have. He begins, we are to walk with all lowliness and meekness. These two words speak of the need for Christians to be humble in the work that they do. Philippians chapter 2, let nothing be done done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Meekness, walk in meekness. Meekness conveys that we are to be gentle in our dealings with others. We are to be meek not only when those who are are around us are agreeable with us, not only when those around us are supportive of us, but we also are to walk in meekness when there is opposition. When children resist the instruction of father or mother, walk in meekness. 2 Timothy 2, verse 25, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of truth. We who are parents then are called to labor with our children in such a way that conveys to them lowliness and meekness, humility. We are not to consider ourselves as parents to be more important than our children. Yes, it is the case that God has given to us a unique calling which calling is different than the calling that God has presently given to our children. But differences of calling does not mean that one is more important than the other. And so in the instruction that is given to our children, may it become evident unto them that we labor with them with lowliness and with meekness. Even the tone of voice that is used when correcting or disciplining children can be used to convey unto them lowliness. And then as well, this means that as parents, we must not be beyond confessing sins, our sins, to our children. When we fail, as so often we as parents do, then we must have the necessary humility to go to the child against whom we have sinned and confess faults to them. We labor with lowliness and meekness, and he goes on in the middle of verse 2, with long-suffering, Long-suffering has the idea of patience or steadfastness, 
of bearing for a long time with an individual. This is very hard for us to do, to be long-suffering with individuals, especially when they try us and they test our patience day after day after day. It's not so difficult to be short-suffering, to suffer with one for a short period of time. Anyone can do that for a season, but to be long-suffering where month after month, year after year goes by, and you still face the same weaknesses in your children. Long-suffering. The perfect pattern for long-suffering is found in Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1, verse 16 Albeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Consider with me how patient and how steadfast Jesus was throughout his earthly ministry. He went up into Galilee to his hometown of Nazareth, and there he preached among the people, and at first they were astonished with his doctrine, but then he called them unto repentance, and they were offended at him, so they took him outside of town and tried to push him off the edge of the cliff. Jesus Christ did not lash out in anger at the people of Nazareth, but he passed miraculously right through the neck, right through the midst of them. And the next time Jesus was in Galilee ministering, where did he go? Nazareth. He suffered long with the people of Nazareth. Consider how the followers of Jesus Christ oftentimes misunderstood him. He was the perfect teacher. He set forth truth in a way that no other human being has ever set forth truth. And yet, oftentimes, his followers misunderstood him. And anyone who has worked as a teacher understands how frustrating that can be when you're trying to convey a particular truth, and yet the audience is not understanding that truth. How often did not Jesus Christ teach that his kingdom was spiritual and not of this earth? And yet time after time, the people came to him with questions that showed that they understood the kingdom was earthly. But even though they misunderstood him, he did not lash out in anger or frustration with long-suffering. Even his own disciples had division, arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so it is that God calls us as parents to suffer long with the children he has given to us. It could be that the father feels that he is respected outside of his home, in the workplace. But then he comes into the walls of his own home and his children do not 
respect him. God's calling is suffer long with them. It could be that the mother is learned in teaching, instructing, that she's able to teach others, but that in her own home, her children do not want, are unwilling to receive her instruction. Teach them patiently, steadfastly. Parenting, perhaps like any other earthly vocation, will test your ability to be steadfast. Drink daily of the water of life to receive strength for this. And then in the conclusion of the second verse, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another to love in love. Forbearing, similar to the idea of long-suffering, means to endure in a merciful way with an individual. When someone sins against you, instead of responding in sin to that individual, you forbear with them by withholding sinful words from them. But the emphasis here with this word forbearance or forbearing is that we are to do it in love. Forbear one another in love. It is not sufficient for us as Christians simply to bite our tongue when somebody says a sinful word to us. It is not sufficient for us as Christians merely to put up with sinful behavior when others offend us. But God sets the bar higher than that. We are to forbear one another in love. Love is to be the attitude of your heart while you forbear with those who sin against you. This is how we walk worthily of the vocation wherewith God has called us. Anything less than forbearing one another in love is, as it were, to take that wedding dress and drag that dress through the mud. This is how you behave in a way that is becoming for the vocation that God has given unto you by forbearing one another in love. What is the inner disposition of your heart? Is there love? For those whom God has put in your life. This is to be done according to the third verse with the goal of unity. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Blessed unity. Blessed unity, which is the opposite of division, strife, and enmity. Blessed unity, which has its source in the Holy 
Spirit. Keep the unity of the Spirit. Unity which comes from the one who is uniquely qualified to bless his people with unity. For he as the Holy Spirit is the breath of God who proceeds from the Father and from the Son, uniting the Father and the Son within the Godhead in that perfect and everlasting bond of love. The Spirit who is long-suffering, who bears with God's people in love and even comforts and consoles them in their afflictions of this earth. The Spirit is the one who gives unto us this blessed unity. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. The unity that we enjoy is spiritual unity. And as we labor in the home as parents, we must always keep that in mind. The goal is spiritual unity. There always are going to be differences of opinion about things earthly, things material. There's not always going to be agreement about the favored food for the table is, what type of clothing one wants to wear. But the text is not calling us to have unity with regard to things physical, but we are called to have spiritual unity, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Unity which is in the bond of peace. And peace, you know, is established at the cross of Jesus Christ. Peace that can only be had when our sins are covered, when our iniquities are cleansed, when we are made righteous in the sight of God. There is no peace in Jerusalem when Jerusalem is not justified before God, her Maker. It is at the cross that Jesus Christ established the very possibility of peace within the church and within the homes that make up that church. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of this vocation wherewith you are called. I beseech you, Paul said, I plead of you as Paul sat in his prison cell, locked up for the sake of righteousness, persecuted because he had been a preacher of the gospel. Paul, in those conditions, in that condition, penned the words that make up this letter to the Ephesians. 
And there as he wrote from his prison cell, he pleaded of the Ephesians that they would walk worthy of the vocation to which God himself had called them. And I too, although I presently suffer nothing near to what the Apostle Paul suffered for the sake of preaching the gospel, yet I too beseech the members of Hall Protestant Reformed Church walk worthy of the vocation wherewith God hath called you. Be who you are in Jesus Christ. Let Christian fathers be Christian fathers, and let Christian mothers be Christian mothers. I plead this of you for your own good, for the good of your soul, as someday you must stand before Jesus Christ, who will sit upon that great white throne of judgment and answer for everything that you have done or said upon this earth, I plead of you, walk worthy of your vocation. I plead of you for the good of the church, for the peace of Jerusalem, so that the church might bear a witness in this world and might let its light shine Before the men of this world, I plead of you for the good of the church. Walk worthy of the vocation with with which you are called. For those of you who are parents, I plead of you for the sake of your children who will learn from the example of mom and dad. Walk in lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. And especially for the glory of God's great and holy name, I beseech you, walk worthily. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. Yet not I, but the Holy Spirit, who alone has inspired this text, He it is that beseeches you powerfully, irresistibly, walk worthy of your vocation. Amen. Let us pray. Father and God in heaven, how great Thou art and greatly to be praised. There is no one else that is like unto Thee in power or in wisdom or in love. Thou art the God who has loved us eternally, who has written down our names in the Lamb's book of life. We thank Thee for Thy covenant established with believers and with their seed. That Thou graciously forgive whatever was done or said in sin and send us home this evening with Thy blessing. 
For Jesus' sake, we pray this. Amen.